0: Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode of The Stone Table. My name is Mickey, and I'm one of the Worship Arts Coordinators here at Baylife.
1: And my name is Travis, and I'm the Teaching Pastor here at Baylife.
0: And today, we have a really exciting episode, which is kind of, in a way, a Christmas miracle come true.
1: Right, yeah, it's it's interesting because I figured being married that we wouldn't, wouldn't get Christmas presents. We wouldn't get <laughs> Christmas presents, like our parents would say, "You're you're grown ups and you can, yeah you can pay for your own presents." But <laughs> but my parents asked us if there was anything we wanted for Christmas this year, and there was a book last that we year. put on. I guess yeah, last year twenty nineteen, <laughs> and there was a book we put on our list that we we basically found sort of scouring the yeah. internet. Yeah. Uh, by a guy named Douglas McKelvey, called mm-hmm. Every Moment Holy, and yes. we put it on the list, thinking, who knows, maybe we'll get it, maybe we won't. If we don't, we'll be grown ups and buy it ourselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> but we ended up getting it for Christmas. We
0: did. So Every Moment Holy is sort of a liturgical devotional book designed for families, um, designed for people in the workspace, people with children, people who do not have children, people who are married, unmarried. Basically, it is a devotional of prayers written in sort of a liturgical style. It's incredible and and we just we love it we've been using it ever since we got it for Christmas and so today we actually get to interview the author which is amazing because I don't know if you've ever read a book and just thought man if I could pick this author's brain how cool would it be and we get the chance to do that
1: right yeah kind of on a whim I I found Doug's website and there was a submission form like hey I'd love to hear from you Mm -hmm. and so I just emailed him and kind of like fanboyed and was yeah. like, we love your book, and we think it's so beautiful, and we use it every morning before we go to work and, and spend some time doing devotionals together. Out of the prayers you have written, would, would you be willing to talk to us? And he emailed us back almost immediately. And, and he said yes. And he said yes. And and so this is kind of dream come true, where yes. you read yes. a book, you love the the concepts, and then you get to talk to the author about where it came from and and what led him to produce what I think is a really helpful devotional book.
0: Yes, absolutely. And in addition to Every Moment Holy... Doug is actually a, a really accomplished writer. He is a lyricist. He's written songs for bands like Switchfoot. He's a part of the Rabbit Room Press, which is a sort of an art collective with Andrew Peterson. So he's just an all-around really cool guy.
1: Right. Which, I, and I think that kind of shines through in the interview. He talks yeah. a little bit about the work he does with the Rabbit Room, and I know we're both huge fans of Andrew Peterson. Yeah. So we kind of fanboy a little bit. I yeah. guess fan fan, girl, fan people fanboy, about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, we
0: did. And, and they're just opening up in the next couple of months. Uh, I'm
1: Almost like a house where people can come and read and study. Yes, and-
0: where, oh my gosh, which I'm so excited about. We don't have a plan in Nashville. We didn't have a plan to Nashville plan before this. We do now. But now we do, especially because they have...
1: J.R.R. Tolkien's fireplace. Yeah,
0: which, how cool.
1: Yeah, which is, I, I man, so there, there's so many cool things in this interview that yes, come out, and yes. even things that we didn't expect to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love about this interview is that Doug shares a lot about the stories that led to these prayers that he's written, yes. and and I think that's really helpful to hear how these prayers are the result of things that real people went through. And I think that's why they they're so relatable. And you can read they these are. prayers and say, you know, this is really what I'm feeling as I'm going through this situation. So it's a great interview. I'm super, super excited about it. I can't wait for our listeners to check it out.
0: So for Bay Life Church, I'm Mickey.
1: And I'm Travis. And this
0: is the Stone Table. <music>
1: Doug, thank you so much for agreeing to sit down with us and have this conversation. I've been so excited about talking with you ever since we got your book for Christmas. And this is actually the first time we've talked in real life. I realized we emailed back and forth for a couple months as we were nailing down a, a time to talk. And so I, I feel like Whenever I'm kind of getting to know somebody for the first time, one of the most important first questions I ask them, and it's it's a definitive question, so mm-hmm. know know that this is weighty. Uh, the the first get to know you question is: Are you a cat or a dog person?
2: You know, I grew up having dogs and a cat. Okay. Um, but if you were to force me into one <laughs> camp or the other, uh, it would it would definitely be the dog side.
1: Okay. Of okay.
2: Things I. Um, you know, I think I kind of need a relationship that goes two ways. Mm,
0: yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that's Actually, really fair. I think that's that's the best I've ever heard it put. Is uh, with a dog you have a relationship, and with a cat you have a, a master. Yeah. and so it's
2: <laughs> yes. right. Yeah. And I don't I don't know how valid this is, but I was amused. Um, I think it was within the last year I saw an article where. Scientists had determined mm-hmm. that your cat is actually trying to figure out how it could kill you. Kill you?
0: <laughs> we know for sure our cat does. Yeah,
2: yeah
1: absolutely.
0: He tries every day.
2: But, yeah, that their predatory instinct uh-huh. is, is stronger yeah. than their size would allow them yes. to implement. So. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> you make a fair argument. Yeah,
1: you know what? I, I, I will consider. I will consider this <laughs> this perspective. I'm gonna. Give, give ponderance to it.
0: Yes, yes. So, Doug, you are a resident of Nashville by way of Texas. And so we talked a little bit about the weather right there. Right now, you've got a little bit of hope of spring coming up. So sure. hopefully the weather improves. But if you were to have just one day in Nashville, so say someone like people like us who aren't from Nashville, if we had one day and you had to give us your must-see, must-do, must-eat place, anywhere that is your first choice to go to where would it be
2: yeah that question is probably just going to make me seem like a stick in the mud (laughs) um because there's there's a whole lot of stuff that nashville has to offer that i've never even bothered Mm -hmm. to go do you know that someone coming in for one day would do all these amazing things (laughs) that having lived here for 30 years now um or well maybe not quite that long uh 25 years anyway um but uh there are a couple things I could I could suggest. Okay. One which I'm really excited about is the Rabbit Room um oh. that that uh Rabbit Room press is right. a wing of the nonprofit organization mm-hmm. Rabbit Room which um just to give a little bit of context was started by Andrew Peterson yes. um the author and recording artist and his brother Pete um And the basic premise or the, well, yeah, the basic premise of the rabbit room is that um, art nourishes community and community nourishes art. So, um, and um, the mission statement is to foster Christ centered community through story, music and art. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's something that's been going on for well over a decade, um, but without any actual location. Um, I mean, there's been the rabbit room press that's published probably close to 40 books now. Um, and then there are thing events that the rabbit room hosts in Nashville. Like there's the local show every spring and fall. It's a concert series of four artists in the round. And it's kind of a small intimate setting at a, at a coffee shop. They sell 70 tickets. It always sells out, um, so, if you're here on a Tuesday night in the, mm-hmm. the spring or the fall, that's a that's a really great thing to come that's and be cool. a part of. Yeah. But uh, next month, construction is supposed to be finished on Northwind Manor,
0: oh, which wow. will
2: now be a destination Location. spot. Um, this wonderful a uh, house designed for hospitality and events. There'll be concerts, there'll be speakers, but it will also be a place where there will be hosts there most days so that when people just come into town and drop in, they can come in, grab one of the books out of the library mm-hmm. full of Tolkien and Lewis and yeah. Chesterton and you know all <laughs> kinds of other writers we love. Um, and have a cup of tea and sit and read or have conversation by wait for it, Tolkien's Fireplace. No way. Ooh. Which like imported? we managed to get, yes, yes. What? From England. Holy yes. cow, This we've just <laughs> changed.
1: The subject of the podcast has changed yeah. to what? how you got Tolkien's Fireplace. <laughs>
2: well, I mean, I, w- I was not actively part of the process, but, uh, but the, the short version of that, of how it happened, is um, the family that owns Tolkien's house now mm-hmm. in England decided to renovate. So they just started selling off pieces of, um, you know, I don't know what else they sold, but they sold the fireplace. There was a guy in Illinois in the Wheaton area who bought it, had it shipped over. Um, I don't know what his original intentions were for it, but at some point he made it for sale on eBay Mm -hmm and okay. Andrew Peterson came across it <laughs> and contacted him i mean the price was was significantly more than there would have been budget for for the rabbit room sure. um, but he contacted the guy just to see if there was you know any, yeah, any anything that would make sense like if the guy would want to donate it to a nonprofit uh-huh. as a tax deductible thing or whatever and and the guy was his response was along the lines of oh i'm a huge fan of your your music oh, yes. and books and um you know i have too much money in this to just be able to donate it but i can i can you know cut the price a substantial amount from what i have it listed for on ebay so that's what he did, and wow. so that's Robert that's Room bought it, and it's, so cool. it's now being installed in Northwind Manor. So wow!
0: And and for the record, that sounds like a perfect day for us. Like yeah. that, I can't imagine <laughs> anything cooler than reading Lewis and, and sitting by uh, Tolkien's
2: fireplace. Yeah, and drinking tea yeah. or
0: coffee. That sounds like the perfect day.
2: Wow! So yeah, so so I'm really excited about that as a destination wow, space finally yeah. being available for. For people who follow the Rabbit Room and are part of the online community and conversations, but who, <laughs> when they come to Nashville, have never had any way to actually <laughs> physically, in geographically, man, right? plug in and and visit anything. So.
1: Oh my gosh! Well, so that's actually so fascinating that you bring that up because that's the way that I, we found your book, mm-hmm. Every Moment Holy. I, I have the Rabbit Room as one of my home pages on my. Oh. Uh, Safari. I guess that's the the Mac Internet Explorer. I'm so technically (laughs) uneducated. Um, And he
0: saw an ad for it, I think.
1: Right. Yeah. I I saw an advertisement for Every Moment Holy and I I watched sort of the promotional video and then I sent it to her and Uh I said, We need this. This looks like the most incredible thing. Um,
0: And we asked for it for Christmas and we got it from his parents.
1: So So, uh, we have just, we've so benefited from this book that you've produced along with Andrew Peterson and, and just it. I mean, the book itself is absolutely beautiful in the way that it's been constructed the the illustrations are incredible
2: yeah ned ned bustard is the artist illustrator and yeah his his line of cuts are just so so beautiful so packed with with the symbolism of the church historically he's a he's a student of that he's um he's actually one of those very understated people that you meet him and you would just think, oh, he's a he's a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. But then over time, you start to find out to uncover all of these influential positions he has on boards of various things, of wow. Siva, the Christians in the visual arts, and just you know, his his history of what he's done. Um and is currently doing is, is pretty amazing. But yeah. yeah, so I always like to to give a plug for him. Of
0: course. Yeah. Yes. Well, the book
1: is absolutely beautiful. And, and for our listeners, I'm sure plenty of whom will be hearing about it for the first time through this podcast. Mm-hmm. It, it's essentially this book of liturgies and prayers and almost... Um, like devotionals. Devotionals to, mm-hmm. to be celebrated uh, alone or with a family throughout all sorts of different seasons and events of mm-hmm. life. And I guess... As we kind of start to discuss the book, I would love to know, how did this come about? What what was it that prompted you to begin writing these and compiling these uh, into the collection that has become this book?
2: Several years ago, three or four years ago, I was working on a science fiction novel. Um, had been working on it for probably over a year at that point. Actually, it was the intention was that it be a series of novels, and that still is the intention, but... Um, the first book had expanded into the first trilogy and then the first book of that had expanded into the first trilogy. So it, it just felt like I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't making progress and I was just struggling in general at that point to, to be productive as a writer. Mm-hmm. So one morning um, I was sitting right where I am now staring out the window with a computer on my lap, trying to write, but failing to write. And I just realized I need something, I need a prayer that every morning when I sit down to write, I could pray and it would be something that would remind me, would reorient me to who I am in relation to my creator, in relation to the gift that I'm a steward of, and in relation to the people that I'm hoping to serve by what I'm trying to create hmm. that I really need to be reminded and focused and repositioned and recentered in relation to all three of those things, or I'm just going to waste hours, um, you know, doing everything but hmm. productive labor. Right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll try to write a prayer. I'll try to write a prayer for writing fiction and Huh, it would be interesting, just aesthetically, if I put it in the form of a liturgy, because mm-hmm. um, I, I find that that maybe even especially with poetry, that having a form imposed um, actually spurs greater creativity. So true. Yeah. Than yeah. if it's just completely open ended. But right. to, you know, to give yourself those rules, okay, it has to meet these criteria. And so I thought, okay, it would be interesting to structure it where there are parts that. The leader would speak and then the the people would, you know, the other people would voice their parts. And for those who aren't familiar with liturgical services um, yeah, and the way liturgies might be yeah. structured, yeah. Um, a, lo- a lot of people who aren't familiar with that probably are familiar with responsive readings in the, in the church's that, that they're a part of. But basically, I mean, what, what we cons- what we would call a liturgical service, noting first that all services are liturgical, that liturgy is broadly a term that mm-hmm. would mean the order and content of a worship service. Mm-hmm. But those those churches that we would consider more liturgical traditions, are ones that have an order to the service that is much more established and set, often going back hundreds or elements of them, even, you know, back to early church practices. Mm -hmm. And the people are very involved in the service. They aren't just sitting back and watching, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of physical involvement, a Mm -hmm. lot of, a lot of speaking, a Mm -hmm. lot of participation, prayers. And, and what I've, I didn't grow up in a liturgical tradition, but the first time I was introduced to a liturgical service when I was in college, one of the things I was struck by, well, the two things I was struck by were the aesthetic beauty Mm -hmm. of, of the structure and of a lot of the prayers themselves. They aren't poetry, but there was this aesthetic poetic sense of the rhythm of the words. But there was also this sense for me that that immediately there's something here I can trust Mm -hmm. because this isn't just one person saying whatever occurs to them in the moment Mm -hmm. that then I have to evaluate, okay, but does this line up with scripture? This was something that has been refined Mm -hmm. and developed and affirmed and endorsed over you know potentially a period of hundreds of years by the church.
0: Right.
2: So there's this um there's this weight of the affirmation of the church through history that this is true right. and mm-hmm. good and right. And so anyway, that's that's just a little aside mm-hmm. as to why I I thought, okay, aesthetically I'll I'll try structuring this. Prayer as a liturgy. So I I I spent a few hours and I wrote um, a liturgy for fiction writers. Hmm. Andrew Peterson and I were about to do a session together at Hutchmoot, um, which is the Rabbit Room's annual conference in Nashville. So I sent it to him because we were the, the session we were gonna do together was something related to story. So I sent that to him just asking, would this be a good way for us to close the session, to have everyone print out copies of this and have everyone do this? And he responded quickly and said, I love this. I love this idea. But man, I wish I had a liturgy for beekeeping and I wish I had a liturgy Mm -hmm. for... And he listed a couple other things. And immediately then, because of that, the idea just expanded in my head where I realized... Yeah, this isn't just a novelty, one-off thing. This is actually something that could really serve the body of Christ yeah. to have a book full of prayers, of liturgies for everyday moments of life.
1: Well, that so the, one of the things that we've actually so appreciated about the book is the number of topics that you cover there's um, so
0: many. There's, yeah. I, I think, the one that we do the most is the morning coffee, a liturgy for the morning coffee, yeah. Yeah. or for the husband and wife at There's the beginning of the day. There's a
2: story about that one. Oh, oh we perfect! Yeah. Because
0: we wanted to ask, how did these, how did these come about? Okay,
2: yeah. <laughs> and and you might you might be happy to know that um, just Friday, I think, uh, Ned Bustard, the illustrator, and mm-hmm. I were going back and forth. Um, you know, doing fine tuning of an art print of the liturgy for husband and wife at the start of day. Oh, cool. Okay. Um, so that will, that will actually be available. Cause we thought that might be one that, that some people would want to mm-hmm. hang, oh, yes. you know, somewhere in their bedroom. Oh or,
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool.
2: So it'll have the illustration and the, and the text of the prayer there. But um, yeah. So the coffee one also involves Ned. <laughs> <laughs> I had created a a master list and it was a, you know, a living, changing organism of, of all these potential subjects for liturgies as I was writing the first book. But we had a deadline that we were approaching. I think it was sometime early August of 2017 that it just, you know, everything had to be to the printer so it could then be to the binder on time so that it could then... Hit its publication date. So, as we were getting closer to that deadline, there were just a number of liturgies that I had not written that I just assumed I wouldn't get to because if I hadn't written a first draft by that point, then there just wouldn't be time to refine it. And Ned had been, just been insistent all along we really need this coffee one. Mm. <laughs> In fact, it might've been his idea originally. Um,
0: It's so important. The morning coffee.
2: Months before. And he, I think he's not even a coffee drinker, but he just recognized (laughs) in the lives of of his people, people that he's close to who, how important it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. A spiritual Um, discipline in some way.
0: We think so.
2: You know, and throughout the process of, of writing the book, Um, I had tried to remain very open to the needs of the community that I'm a part of. And what I mean by that is, you know, I knew I would, that if I had a couple hundred ideas topically, I knew I wasn't going to get to all of them. But when something would happen, such as um, uh, there's a a couple that live in the Atlanta area, um, Lanier and Philip Ivester. Um, just a, a wonderful couple, and they're part of the Rabbit Room. And she's a, a an amazing writer um, and communicator. She's been a, a speaker at a lot of our Hutchmoods. But they had a home that had been passed down for generations in his family, um, and they had just made it a beautiful place. You know, they were gracious hosts, hosting people all the time there and their house burned. Hmm. Um, And within two or three days of that happening, I think Lanier contacted me and said, do you have a liturgy for, Mm. you know, when your house burns?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: There was one that was on the master list that was a liturgy for those who have suffered loss from fire, flood, or storm. Uh, That was just a title. I hadn't even started to write anything. And it was one I had assumed I wouldn't get to because there just wasn't enough time left. But when something like that would happen and someone would make a specific request, I tended to look at that as direction, as leading. Um, And so I sat down and worked on that one. And I was kind of sneaky about it because I poured through Lanier's beautiful and moving blog posts of the first few days after losing their house and and I because I haven't I haven't suffered that kind of loss so I didn't I wasn't confident that I could just on my own articulate that so I I looked at what she was saying she was going through what her responses were and tried to re-articulate all of that and so I, I finished it I I mean it took me probably three days to write it and and sent it to her. And she told me a few days later that they had, you know, gone back to their house and kind of stood in the ruins and prayed through that. And she was amazed at how well it had articulated what they were feeling. And so then I had to fess up and tell her, well, that's because I,
1: <laughs> yeah, I read really I- I your yeah. blog
2: posts <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and just echoed back to you what you were saying. So throughout the, throughout the the process of the book, there were, there are several of the liturgies that are in there because of that kind of thing. I mean, I, um, my aunt was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, you know, stopped whatever one I was working on and worked on, um, a liturgy for the, those suffering the slow loss of memory. Mm -hmm. Um, the one for the loss of a living thing was actually because Andrew Peterson, his family lost their dog that they had had for years and that Mm. everyone just loved. It was a great dog. And, um, Andrew texted me and said, do you have a liturgy for, for the death of a pet or the loss of a pet? So I I wrote that one. So, you know, there was, there was the voices of community, and the labors of community were so central to the whole process of both making it possible financially, but also the, the content and the shaping. So back to the coffee liturgy, Mm -hmm. it was maybe the day before the deadline, maybe the, well, actually what happened was probably two days before the deadline. um, Ned sends me the artwork for it.
1: Oh, so <laughs> now, he says, now there's a fire. He says, now you yeah. have to do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. He says,
2: I went ahead and, you know, I went ahead and created the, the coffee line of <laughs> <laughs> liturgy for the ritual of morning coffee. Mm-hmm. So then I felt obligated. I was on the hook. Yeah. Um, so it was so last minute and it didn't go through various revisions and drafts you know most of these take me several days right um, yeah. to write one even if they they might not seem like that but <laughs> but for my writing process they do but that one was just you know it was it was the last thing i did after everything else was was finished and revised and it is the one that yeah. is the most popular. <laughs> it's our favorite.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we do, do
1: it every that. every morning.
0: Every morning yeah. with yeah. our morning coffee. Yeah. It's just and it's so relatable. <laughs>
1: So the the story of how this this book came together reminds me of a couple of things. One, I love that this was a communal process. Um, yes, I've heard that the one of the translations of the the Greek word that liturgy comes from is work of the people. It's right. this this communal action of serving God together and. Um, being in service of one another as we serve the Lord. And so it's so cool for me to hear that this book of liturgies was in fact a work of the people. It was the work of your right. your community at yeah. the Rabbit Room. And in many ways, it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you've read Tish Harrison Warren's book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary.
2: I have not read it, but I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with it. And um, she and I actually did a hutchmoot session together a year before oh, last cool. on literature, So it, I got to at least hear um, the, the short version yeah. of what a lot of the book content is. So it's one that's on my list yeah. that I need to read. Um, I'm just awful with that though. I have probably seven books I'm reading right now. They're all on my nightstand. Wow. Yeah. That then, is Travis. And then I have uh, probably three or four books right here in my workspace that, you know, I read a little bit of in the morning before I get started. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like I never finish books. That's That's hilarious because that is
0: exactly how this guy is.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The reason I bring it up is just because your book feels like the, um, almost an extension of the ideas that she engages in there about seeing sort of the, the liturgy and everything, the liturgy in every aspect of your day. And so, opening up yeah. your book and seeing a prayer for morning coffee or seeing a liturgy for lamenting the end of a good book or all of these different sort of nooks and crannies of day to day life. Uh, I, I just I felt like I was reading the I was almost reading like the the workbook application of, hey, here's how you go and and celebrate life in this liturgical sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I and I love I love that you drew your inspiration from the community around you. One of the questions we were going to ask is what what are some of the influences you drew from, but it sounds like the community is such a, a great one and and how important is it that the work of the people influence the way that we sh- the way that you've shaped the liturgical devotion of every aspect you could think of in a work day or in a day at home or Yeah. It's just it's so interesting to hear that
2: part of what I loved about this project as it unfolded was that initially I thought, okay, I'm kind of exploring some new territory here with this idea of new liturgies for daily life, you know, having, having a a liturgy for changing a diaper and, Mm -hmm. you know, a liturgy for the first hearth fire of the season. And some of these things that, that resources like the book of common prayer, Mm -hmm don't specifically address sure right i mean i from the beginning i was not trying to create a liturgy for a baptism or you know a liturgy to use during a communion service because those exist Hmm.
0: those
2: are those are well established and you know i don't try i I mean i don't i don't think that i would improve on what the church has already created um, as resources for those things but as i as I moved through the process, there were a, a couple of things that i I started looking at along the way. Someone sent me a book of Celtic prayers. Oh. And I had encountered some Celtic prayers before. but, you know, once you're working on a particular thing, thinking about a particular subject, it's like you have your antenna up or your magnet turned on, you know to receive those signals or for sure. certain mm-hmm. things to be attracted to mm-hmm. that in a different way. So, as I was working through the process of writing liturgies and someone gave me this, this book of Celtic prayers in, in reading through it, you know, these prayers that are hundreds of years old, I realized, Oh, part of what I'm doing is actually, um, bringing that practice from an earlier time and place and strain of, um, of Christianity, of the practices of of, of Christ followers um, at an earlier time and place, taking something that was beautiful about what was such a part of their tradition and bringing it back, which is they had prayers for everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, they had prayers for milking the cows, for covering the coals in the hearth at night. Mm-hmm. And so they walked through their days right. with this moment-by-moment moment recognition of the presence of God and of the eternal intersecting with those common moments of their lives so there was that strain that I recognized okay i'm not I'm not reinventing the wheel right yeah. this is something that that at one time the church mm-hmm. recognized and valued and practiced that's maybe maybe a valuable service that this book can offer is to reintroduce, a church that has lost that sense of, of God's presence in every moment, and then uh, there's the the book Valley of Vision, which is Puritan prayers.
1: Oh yeah, mm. that's a great resource. Yeah, yeah.
2: and it um, you know apparently it was the the practice in in some of those Puritan churches for individuals to write these beautiful theologically rich prayers. And then to pass them around for other people to use as well. So I realized again, okay, this is a this is a tradition that that you know it's it's not a new thing. It's not something we're just creating. This is this is really bringing back some some valuable parts of of other parts of the church.
0: Yeah. And I love, I mean, the the title of the book is Every Moment Holy. There's holiness in every moment. Every moment throughout the day, uh, God is present. And so seeing, you know, the titles and the liturgies for any and all of these events throughout the day, it's just encouraging to see that we can make every moment holy. Um, mm. by the way that we pray. and
1: Yeah, almost consecrate each, each yeah. action unto the Lord. Yes, yeah.
0: absolutely. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you, um, because a lot of our listeners are parents, they've got children who are grown, children who are small, and so a lot of the things that they like to hear are, are ways that we can implement these things in our families. So um, things like liturgical prayers, devotionals, is this something that you did with your family and your children when they were small?
2: Um, well, my my three daughters are all pretty much grown now. The the older two are married. Um, the oldest one has a, a baby on the way. So oh, okay, i just cool. adjusting to the idea that I'm a, about to be a granddad. <laughs> yeah. oh, <goodness>. That's exciting <laughs> though. Yeah, yeah. So exciting. yeah it, is, it is. And my youngest is 20, um, about to be 21. So As the idea for Every Moment Holy was coming together, one of the things I was most excited about was was imagining families with young kids using this as a resource, finding particular prayers in it that they could incorporate into the rhythm of their lives, such that as the kids grow, they would begin to take ownership of it and where the kid might be the one when, you know, when the storm comes through and the lightning strike knocks the electricity out, that the kid, the seven-year-old might be the one to say, Hey, can we do the liturgy for the loss of electricity? Uh And just the formative shaping power that there's a, there's potentially a shepherding aspect to prayers that are thoughtfully crafted, right? Mm -hmm. Because they, um, they shape our thinking, they shape our theology, which right. then, our, our orthodoxy, our right thinking, which then shapes our orthopraxy, our right mm-hmm. action, right. the way we live that out. So it it was a hope, a great hope of mine as I worked on the book, that there would be some of that, of that effect, that there would be kids who grow up
0: right.
2: in families that have adopted some of these prayers, um, and that the kids would actually be Shaped by them, that there would be some spiritual formation over the years that would happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that seems to be the case. Yeah. Um, and and what's been interesting that I didn't foresee, the Rabbit Room Press has has had a booth at the great homeschool conventions the last mm. three years. This will be our fourth year to do it, so we get to interact with lots of lots of people during those three day conferences. I think there are we've gone to five to seven of those a year um, scattered around the U S and I've had uh, moms and dads, but, but more often it's moms who are, who are there and they'll have like a, a two and a half or three year old with them. And they'll tell me how, you know, their, their kid, you know, calls every moment, holy, his book. Aww. And mm, and <laughs> cool. any any time he knows he needs his diaper changed, he runs Aww. and gets the book so they can do the <laughs> the, the yeah. for changing of a diaper. Oh my gosh, that's and, hilarious! And so, I mean, I I don't even know I don't even know what underlies it. Right? It's kind of a mystery to me. But this wonderful mystery that there are kids that young who are finding something in the rhythm of. That prayer for for these everyday moments, yeah. which of course they're still young enough that there are no everyday moments, really. I mean, every <laughs> sure. every moment is new and wonderful, and right. <laughs> yeah. But then there there are other families with you know some of them with with older kids who have incorporated the the liturgies for the daily table blessings. There are seven seven liturgies, one for. For each day mm-hmm. of yeah. the week yes. um, or, you know, the one for students and scholars that they use to start their school days if they homeschool or mm-hmm. so it, um, I hoped, I hope that every moment Holy would, would have enough of a variety of prayers that um, whether someone is, is married, is single, um, or has kids that they would find some that would make sense to just incorporate into the rhythm of their life as it already is. But, but my secret hope was really that families with young kids would be, um, that was kind of my, my secret target
0: Yeah.
2: of most hoping that they would find connection with it because of, of, of that shaping influence yes, for absolutely. children. So that's
1: you know. fantastic. Gosh, well, Doug, we have so enjoyed having this conversation with you. We've been so thankful, not just to be able to talk to you, but for the gift that you've given our family. Uh, we only have a cat. We don't have kids, but, uh,
0: <laughs> but the hope is when we do have children to be able to, uh implement these these liturgies in yeah. in our lives so that we could do them as a family. So thank you for that resource for us. Yeah. Um as we're a family of two mm-hmm. and then when we become bigger, we, that's just something that's going to be really useful for us. Yeah. And for the families who go to our church, um who are parents and 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 those of us who are not parents and and single people, married people these are all incredible liturgy so thank you for that resource
1: yeah and thank you for That's agreeing to thank sit you. down and talk with us um, yes. we're we've just been so so encouraged by this conversation
2: so yes. thank you so thank much you, Doug. thank you
1: Hey, thank you so much for listening to this interview with our friend Douglas McKelvey. If you found it helpful, do us a favor and leave us a review and share this episode with your friends. That helps us to get the word out. Also, it would be great to hear from you. We want these episodes to be helpful, and if there are topics that you'd like for us to cover, you can send us an email at baylife.org. For Baylife Church, I'm Travis, and this is The Stone Table.